0: Before we start the show this week, I wanted to remind everyone that we are taking the month of July off. That doesn't mean you won't get an episode every week, but it does mean you'll be getting a mini-sode every week. I also wanted to say I'm very, very, very sorry if you were prompted to re-download a whole bunch of episodes of our show. I changed over our website from one domain to another, so go check out ircbpodcast.com, but because I did that, it may have caused your podcatcher to automatically download a whole bunch of episodes. So you could totally go and re-listen to those, but you should mostly just accept my apology because I feel really bad about it. I thought that I had figured everything out so that this wouldn't happen, but nonetheless, sorry about that. This is a fantastic minisode. Get ready for a bunch of awesome minisodes for the month of July, and we will catch you at the beginning of August with some very exciting news.
1: This is the I Read Comic Books podcast, and I'm your host, Nick White. Or rather, I'm one of your hosts. I've got a co host tonight. It's Kate Scotchless. Hello. And uh, she and I are going to be doing a very, very special mini-sode on Green Arrow Volume 4 on this Valentine's Day night.
2: A romantic evening with Oliver Queen.
1: Um, I'd love to lie and say that we've got better things to do, um, <laughs> but we don't, or at least I don't. It's true. Okay. It's rough out there,
2: gang. It's rough.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, that being said, uh, we will be covering a specific volume, volume four, which is from the new 52. And it was written by Jeff Lemire and drawn by Andrea Sorrentino. Uh, I assume it's Andrea. I've looked up pictures. Uh, He is a male individual, so I'm going to say he's not Andrea. I could be wrong. People pronounce their names in all sorts of weird ways, and on this podcast, the only way we pronounce them is wrong, so it's totally <laughs> possible that I've wouldn't got that one We wouldn't want to break character. <laughs> that's right. We really wouldn't want to just do something uncharacteristic. Uh, so for those that are interested in picking up the volume in question, again, that's volume four of Green Arrow, called The Kill Machine, written by Jeff Lemire, drawn by Andrea Sorrentino, colors by Marcelo Mayolo. Uh, and it collects issues 17 through 24, as well as 23.1. I know it's on Comixology, and there are obviously other places to get it, but of course the real kicker here is that by the time we're done discussing this, which of course there will be full spoilers, I need to say that in advance, you may or may not be very interested in picking it up, or (laughs) not interested at all. But that's how we run these things.
2: So Nick pitched this to me as the, this is where you should jump on. Because for the last however long I've known Nick now, uh, we've had the great debate over who was the best comic book archer. Uh, Clearly Kate Bishop, but, you know, we'll do Green Arrow just because we're already started on that, I suppose. But he said I should read (laughs) Green Arrow, and I agreed, and he said this would be the jumping on point. So I said, are you crazy? Who starts at volume four? And he said, no, 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 I promise. So that's how we ended up where we're at. And...
1: Yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, was there a particular reason that you like this one above others?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, you're probably wondering how I thought it was a sound decision to start at volume four <laughs> in the first place.
2: I mean, it worked. So, yeah, yeah but continue.
1: I mean, because I'm, I'm right there with you. I was not really reading this book before Volume 4. I only picked up a bit of Volume 2 because it's what I could get my hands on when I was getting ready to read Volume 4, and I read a few of the singles from 3 just so I thought if I needed to be, I could be prepared for Volume 4, but I only got into this book um, because I was reading two other DC books at the time. I was reading I, Vampire*, which is still one of the, honestly, one of the most underrated New 52 books, which was being written by Joshua Hill Fielkoff. and um, Green Arrow, Volume 4 Penciler, Andrea Sorrentino, uh, was drawing that at the time. And then I was also reading Animal Man, which was being written by Jeff Lemire. And so when I heard that the two of them were getting together uh, to work on Green Arrow, I thought... Well, I'm excited, even though, gosh, these two are working on like really weird, really niche properties for DC. AKA DC's like C List superhero book and then DC's vampire book. Um so to see them on, on on Green Arrow uh in its own right just seemed very, very bizarre. But uh, you know, you, you follow people, and uh that's how I ended up starting it, really.
2: So I had never read any Green Arrow before. He'd shown up in some team books I'd read, but yeah. he's pretty superfluous in those since you know Superman and whatnot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean he yeah. legit
2: has the same problem as Hawkeye, and they're both like trick arrows, though, bro. And you're like, uh, really? I yeah, mean, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, like, there's they're better in their solo <laughs> books. Yeah, they're much better in their solo
2: books <laughs> because they're less ridiculous. They're not paired up against you know super beings. So for me, this worked as a jumping on point plot wise, because essentially the, the first issue of this trade is burn it all to the ground. Um, it yeah. really scraps everything that had happened before it um, and creates a new origin story, more or less, for Oliver Queen. I'm going to forget character names here, but it's it, we are starting with him finding out his, he's lost Queen. Is it Queen Industries? Or am I mixing that Queen up? Queen Industries. Industries? Yep. Okay.
1: That's right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> wow. Almost like they're the same as Iron Man. Anyway. So that's been... <laughs> Sorry. Pe- he's lost DC that... makes but- jokes
1: about comparisons to Batman. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they've, they've lost that... His money, basically. Because he's, what, like a rich playboy. Again, almost like Iron Man. Um, mm-hmm. But then he's framed for murder and oh my god it turns out dad didn't die in a helicopter crash something else happened what happened we have to find out and so you also lose all the you know supporting characters on his team or so you think uh whoa pause for a moment this is where we remind you that all these episodes where we go in depth on a certain book involve full spoilers so yeah s- stop yep. if you don't want full spoilers and then come back when once you've read it otherwise here you go so he thinks everyone's been blown up, right? Turns out they haven't, but he thinks that. Um, but mostly, aside, for, aside from that girl, what's her name? The programmer? Naomi. Yeah, aside from Naomi, everyone's dead. His fortune's gone, and his island story turn backstory turns out to have been fabricated. So it works plot-wise, because I definitely could get what was going on, because you didn't need background knowledge. But... It didn't work as well emotionally for me because it does you does come in assuming that you already are emotionally invested in the characters and their relationships. So scenes that should have had a big emotional punch like watching characters get murdered or blown up um don't pack that if I mean if you don't know sure. who, who they are, what they're doing and stuff. But even later as he's going on about like there's a lot of stuff where he's talking about his loss of identity essentially and his he's re um Establishing to himself in the world who he is and finding out that actually he's kind of a shitty superhero he keeps getting his butt kicked um and i think if i had been more invested in him as a character that would have played differently for me you know what i mean so yeah
1: i mean i i think the issue is that what you're describing is exactly what readers who had read volumes one through three were feeling too That's sort of the issue. Oh, Uh, that
2: they weren't invested either?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's why they blew it
2: up. Okay, that makes more sense. So,
1: I mean, you can say I didn't connect with these characters. I'm not really, it's not really clicking with me. And the problem is active readers were having the exact same problem.
2: (sighs) That makes so so much sense. Okay, I was wondering why they let him blow it all up. But then I was like, well, it's Lemire. They kind of let him do what he wants. So, I mean, we've talked a lot on the show about how Lemire is best at doing solo books. And that is definitely true here. Uh, where he gets a lot in the character's head and where he's at emotionally and physiologically and all that other stuff. Um, so he does shine a bit. It's very word heavy, but it works. Um, it didn't feel like it could be... You know how sometimes like when you read a Bendis book, it's so wordy it, and the wordiness feels like fat that could be trimmed? It didn't feel like that to me. It, I wasn't reading stuff where I'm like, this doesn't have to be here to get the same effect. Um, I, it did all feel like it needed to be there. Did you have that same? Yeah.
1: Uh, no, so- I mean, I, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't really strike me. Um, it's definitely not as wordy as some books, and I don't think it's as wordy as some of even some of Lemire's other books. Uh, but I think that really has a lot to do with him allowing Sorrentino and Mayolo to actually do a lot of the heavy lifting um, with the panel work.
2: Uh, Yeah, and they do. At the beginning, I was ready to tell you to pick a different book because the art was so (laughs) awful to read. Well, it was really hard to decipher on my tablet. And to be fair, certain stuff works a lot better on tablet um, versus paper and this and that. But certain styles of art can be really tricky on a tablet, especially with the reader I was using. I got this from the Hoopla app, which makes Mm. zooming really tricky. And so the you have like the hyper detailed pencils with the heavy ink and some muddy colors at the beginning and it is just a rough look on digital but so so at first the action was hard to follow especially all the little cutscenes and stuff at the beginning but it got a lot better to the point where i assumed that there was a colorist change because that was the really striking difference was the color work got (laughs) so much better and then when we talked about it you were like uh
1: nope yeah nope same same team through and through all the way through I am curious like were there any sort of things towards the beginning that you were sort of thrown by like when you you know when I was going through and rereading it I sort of went through with one of my core focal points being trying to figure out if there was anything that I thought you were going to sort of stumble over and the only thing that really occurred to me was and I don't know if you remember this a couple times at the beginning they mentioned something called the Q core uh, it probably gets three or four mentions towards the first issue or two that's about it um, and that's sort of his own little private project that he'd been working on, um, in the first couple trades. And all you really need to know is that was his, his, yeah, his focal point and it blows up. So who cares anyway? Yeah.
2: Really. I, that's where I was at. It was like, it instantly get blown up along with his other property. So you're like, oh, okay. And they do mention that it was his pet project and this and that. So right. I didn't, I, I definitely was coming into this knowing you you had said that basically everything gets blown up in the first issue, and that was one of the things. So don't worry about those things. And so I just didn't worry about looking up what they were when stuff went kaboom. So yeah. <laughs> and, well, and characters getting you know whacked. What what with was, was it Emerson's na- his name? Emerson um,
1: gets killed, and Jacks get, gets killed. Yeah.
2: yeah, and so I'm like, okay, that those aren't part of the story I'm reading.
1: Right, right, I did exactly.
2: Get oh, well, it had the same thing. Anything where you're like essentially your pilot episode is with with the first issue where it's like basically it spent blowing everything up so that one was really boring for me because i had no emotional investment in that stuff but once it got going into the news story it became a lot more engaging for me uh i thought sorrentino did a nice job drawing the action scene sequences and the the framing of the action points you know the little boxes within a frame to show like emphasize where a fist is hitting a rib kind of thing really reminded me of archer and armstrong another book that nick made me read
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's uh i mean what do you know i mean i i'm sure unconsciously there are all sorts of very specific like niche like aesthetics that i I go for in penciling so i'm 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 i wouldn't doubt that that's one of them (laughs) <laughs> well, in general, but, uh, this
2: type of art totally strikes me as Nick art. The really detailed pencils and the heavy inks and all that.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely not for everyone. And I, I wouldn't doubt that there are probably some listeners out there that might not thoroughly enjoy this book. But I would say give it a try, if only because I think it really shatters the conception that the new 52 was very beholden to a house art style and to some extent it was uh but they were giving some people a legitimate chance to strike out um strike out there with a very different art style and 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 prove themselves and unfortunately both lemire and sorrentino eventually ended up going to uh, marvel or i should say lemire took sorrentino with him and and of course, both of them are now doing Old Man Logan. I think there's. I think it's still going on. I'm not. I'm not certain. I, I think um, it is over yeah. at Marvel. So um, if you finish Green Arrow, because there are two more trades after this, and you want more of that art style, that's that's where you need to be looking for that. So.
2: Probably the same types of stuff, too, with like, we're going to fight a bunch, and then even though I have multiple mortal wounds, I'm going to yeah. get up and fight some more, because that's how yeah. hardcore I am. There's so many points in this book where he's like, I've been shot 37 times, but I'm going to keep going, because I'm awesome.
1: Yeah, so. and I, I, I do really like that about this book. I mean, they don't, they don't really beat around the bush that Oliver Queen is probably not anyone's definition of a superhero um he has this sort of i think you described him as an obi-wan kind of figure uh the more you read the book he kind of becomes a slightly different figure when you read you um, outsiders war magus
2: oh yep i definitely texted you about that like yeah okay so he's basically obi-wan
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> and this guy says yeah you're not the most gifted hero uh but you definitely are the most determined and i do really like that ali is he's really not the hero in a lot of these issues uh he gets beaten up a lot he gets shot a lot suffers severe hearing damage severe brain damage the list goes on he has a bad
2: Uh, acid trip you know he's just not good at life
1: (laughs) exactly it's um if, so if you want to see kind of a down-and-out hero uh, Who really has to rely on On his, his friends And uh, his allies to, to actually accomplish change uh, This this would be a good point um, On that note, I know Kate uh, Partway through reading it was like Why isn't he just calling the Justice League for this? <laughs> Yeah, this? Um, they have people with laser vision And super strength and flight and invisible jets So like, why not that? And um i see your point and i sort of you know brushed it off and said well you know he's trying to redeem himself and he needs to be in good standing and and really in a lot of ways it's no different than how and they even make jokes about this a bunch in other books um if superman were to go to gotham Superman could conceivably fix a lot of the problems uh that that troubled Batman a lot more than they should uh if he was if he was Superman but uh you know you 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 have your home turf and you stick to it and and uh Oliver Queen's is um god I can't remember if it's called um is it Coast City or do they, they actually they just use Seattle, Seattle in yeah, this okay in Seattle. okay yeah um I'm trying to no, I think it's Starling. Starling City is what it it is in some books, and then in other books they um, want to it call it Seattle. Yeah, Seattle. Yeah. It's Seattle. yeah. So okay.
2: it's not even just Rando that I'm like, why didn't they pick? Like, there's literally a part of the book where he's making deals with people uh the director or whatever that you know hold them off for two days because they want to activate the tech team oh, come Steve in Trevor. and i'm like yeah. so you're just like letting your city get trashed because you can't handle this by yourself but for your own <laughs> ego want to do yeah. no this is my city it's my responsibility I'm like yeah it's your responsibility to get the backup so that you can end this as quickly as possible look at all this property damage
1: yeah it it is true um in sort of a rare actual like inner canon reference uh um Lemire does um throw back to the point that green arrow at this point is technically a member of the justice league of america which was the team assembled conceivably it's it's a government conscripted team so that if the justice league were ever to um go rogue this is the team that would be sent after them and really it's it, it's a it's a bunch of crap <laughs> uh the only A team guy they have is Martian Manhunter, so um, and Who that's was kind another of to- he
2: could come in and just solve everything. So oh
1: yeah, totally, totally, totally. So um, there is a little bit of a suspension to disbelief, but we are talking about superhero comics, so it's if true. you aren't already suspending disbelief, I mean, we're talking um, about an
2: Archer that shoots mapping arrows and uh, <laughs> other ridiculous things. So yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I, I I do like that the book tonally does understand that it needs to have its lighter moments and its darker moments. And some of those are mapped onto different characters. Like Henry fifth is more of the comedic relief and he's sort of the dork, but on the flip side, he's also seemingly remarkably, you know, pretty competent.
2: Yeah. I think that I Okay, maybe I disagree with you here a bit because I think they went a little too heavy on the brooding, angsty, dark thing. Like, okay. I, as I texted you earlier, I was like, dude, you could add mom on the end of basically everything Oliver Queen says and it would have the same effect because he's like, I was Oliver Queen, I was the green arrow, but now no one, I'm no one and nothing, mom and like basically everything else it's just like he's so emo exactly he's so emo he has so many emotions
1: to be fair and i gotta do it by myself mom yeah <laughs> you yeah, no, to, to be fair like um i know that you know comic books tend to do you know when when you have things going way too much one way the easiest counterpoint is not to find a middle ground but to go shift towards the opposite end
0: was it more comedic
2: you... and lighthearted before this
1: yeah, the bigger the green arrow that I really don't like and this is the one you sort of get the opposite end of the spectrum here is like the the very Robin Hood looking green arrow yeah, with like a very the like goatee. robust goatee and he's got all sorts of quippy comments and he's very self assured of himself and he's ugh it's if you don't like this one you ought to meet the other Oliver Queen because I am so <laughs> glad yeah. we don't have that one. That one is so bad. But, I mean, there were people that were mad when this book came out and they took away the goatee and they took away, like, the little uh, Sher- Sherwood Forest hat and, and yeah, all of that other stuff. Yeah, his costume in this is
2: a million times better than that.
1: Yeah. This so.
2: actually looks pretty similar to the show, doesn't it? I guess I've only seen, like, part of the pilot, but it's, it's like, with it's the It's close to the
1: show, Yeah. But you bring up a very good point, and that's that I think when the New 52 started, Arrow was not a thing right then and there, but almost immediately after the New 52 started, the TV show Arrow came out, Mm -hmm. and they sort of had a unique problem in that the Green Arrow show was doing great, but that they really couldn't convince some of these people to go read the book because the book was terrible. (laughs) Um, Well, they came out with a
2: specific Green Arrow TV show comic
1: that's correct and i think in some ways that did fix the problem uh but they it also sort of embarrassingly highlighted the fact that they couldn't get their shit in order um and get the book off the ground because right out like right out of the gate we're talking right at the beginning of the new 52 this book goes and switches between a couple writers within its first couple issues the main artist is gone by the end of the first arc um and the problem with a book like green arrow at least this is this is my quote-unquote professional take on this. Is that with certain lower-profile books, if they don't work, you can just cancel them. Problem solved. But with something like Green Arrow, you're dealing with a book that's high enough in prominence. It's not quite a Justice League, it's not quite a Batman, but it's definitely in that tier for me with like Green Lantern uh, and Aquaman and the Wonder Woman yeah. solo book that. You can't really cancel it You don't have a choice whoa, whoa, whoa. The only thing you can Water do Woman is fix it this, But yeah Well like okay I mean you I, I would You don't think Wonder Woman her... has
2: a much wider readership than like Aquaman in this Maybe I'm just totally out of touch I haven't looked at Aquaman, the numbers at all Aquaman
1: before this sure yes But this Aquaman actually did really 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 well Jeff Johns really turned things around So huh? I guess when I say Aquaman I mean New 52 Aquaman okay. Otherwise you're not wrong You're okay. not wrong so, the problem was they had to fix this book. They, <laughs> there was no way around it.
2: So, what was your favorite part of it then? Like, what did you think that you obviously you think they did well in fixing it because otherwise you wouldn't be recommending it to people. Right. What right. did you think they did a good job with? What made it so much better?
1: Okay. Yeah, th- there's definitely a couple things. Uh, first off, um, the artistic vision here is really really out there and it's one thing to go and take a chance on a uh, a weird, I say weird but it's just the easiest way of describing it. It's it's one thing to go out there and take a chance on a weird artist and put them on a niche book. Uh, It's another thing to go and take that artist and elevate them to a point where they are on a mainstream popular title uh, where it really runs the chance of um, polarizing fans and just to really put your money where your mouth is and do that Uh, And I respect that a lot. And so um, another good example for me, but it's one people don't think about a lot, is uh, Greg Capullo on Batman. People see that as like peanut butter and jelly these days, and I get that. But if you look at Greg Capullo before Batman he was largely known for drawing spawn and that was it and that's not a knock huh. against him but that was a real real risk uh, and it, it he, he's polarized some readers too some people don't like his art either uh, but yeah one of the main things that i really like about this book is it's an unconventional art style on a very mainstream book uh, beyond that i like that lemire um, really stripped the character down uh, and sort of made it an introspective um, sort of psyche look at at Green Arrow as a character uh, and what makes him tick. And he isn't afraid to make him a loser. He isn't afraid to say that he's really a rich guy who used to have rich toys uh, and now doesn't have any of that. And what do you do when that's the situation you're put in? Um, so I find that really fascinating. Uh, the other thing that you don't see all of in this volume that I really like, um, but you see more of it in volume five, which is The Outsider's War, uh, is that he attempts to really give Arrow a bit of a deeper m- mythos. Yeah, a, a mythology
2: that to fit yeah. into. Yeah.
1: To say that he's not just a weird guy with arrows, but that this is actually something that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, with these different uh, clans that are each based around uh, a different weapon.
2: It reminded me of the Wonder Woman uh, Volume 1 Blood from the New 52, which came out uh just about exactly a year before this volume uh, did of Green Arrow, where they took, like you're saying, an unconventional artist. For that one, it was Cliff Chang, which isn't, a, he doesn't have a really traditional hero Mm-mm. style. Definitely and then not. they completely scrapped, you know, started over with the origin story and changed it, and changed it in a way that they could build an entire mythos around it, and, well, for her, it was fitting into the Greek pantheon, but you know what I mean? Like, that, that, those similarities um, in what i guess what you call it the studio or um publisher is doing uh stood all out right. to me
1: yeah totally totally was there anything that you really enjoyed or didn't enjoy or were there any plot moments that you thought were interesting or, or uninteresting um i admit i only found out today i forgot that i thought count vertigo was actually an original creation of theirs uh, but it turns out he actually goes all the way back to the 70s so i mean go figure what, what what was your what was your just initial take on all of that?
2: Yeah, once once you actually got we got to the Count Vertigo stuff and the oh, crap. Which dragon is she?
1: Uh, Shadow.
2: Yeah, is that her name? Huh. Yeah. Okay, so S H A D O.
1: Shadow. Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay, so anyway, um, once you get to the Count Vertigo and Shadow stuff, is where it really picked up for me. Like I liked his Obi Wan discovery into the you know mysteries of the desert with your peyote. Um yeah. the, the tripping sequences were really well done artistically.
1: Yeah. But oh, then yeah.
2: once but plot wise, once you get to all that count stuff, that was what was really engaging for me. And then you get his backstory and her backstory and the big revelations about oh, your dad had an affair and you have a half sister and she's super murdery. Um, yeah. So, Bas-
1: basically, part of the way through this comic, you you more or less feel you're obligated to go on to Oliver Queen's Ancestry.com page exactly. and fill in, a, fill in a whole bunch of blocks that you had no idea were there. Um, I, I thought we were going to get like a, a Leia Luke awkward moment where she's like, oh, you rescued me. And then it's like, oh, shit, we're related. A la <laughs> Back to the Future. Um, but uh, uh, thankfully, that, that that doesn't happen. But um, no, Shadow is really cool. I really like Shadow's uh, introductory sequence. I really like when they give her backstory about how she met. um, Jesus, what is Oliver's dad's name? Who knows? Mr. Queen and how like they sort of do it. And it looks a lot more like Japanese woodblock. Yeah, um, that was a really interesting on Sort of a scroll on a kind of a scroll textured um, background. And she's really interesting because in a way, she sort of represents a lot of people's ideals of what Green Arrow is in terms of her competency, in terms of her fighting style, uh, in terms of her just combat ability. Like, she should be Green Arrow. Oh, yeah, uh, and her personality-wise,
2: she's a much tougher, less sorry-for-me, less, you know, moody. She's just, like, there to get the job done and really tough and competent. Um, her scenes fighting the Komodo dragon I thought were incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, um it, it it is really interesting how Lemire um builds out the cast in this and I think that he just very slowly injects these new characters um which which have resonated with um with readers and and obviously with the higher-ups at DC because while the team that followed Lemire chose to more or less crash and burn on a lot of what Lemire did um, the team that followed that the current team that's running it with Rebirth uh, they love a lot of these characters Shadow has a big part in things right now uh, Emiko, his half-sister is another character that's featured prominently she's sort of the green arrow in training at this point point. Um, and uh, Naomi's in it um, as well as Fifth and other characters so uh, clearly um, a lot of what Lemire created uh, has stuck, which yeah. which is really interesting because I think in this day and age, especially with a lot of these legacy books, um, there's a real temptation to always go back to the well um, and, and draw something up that maybe hasn't been seen for 10 years and the whole idea of actually creating new things, you know, it's it's risky. It's risky and you have that old readership that gets all bent out of shape when you do it, so
2: yeah you're absolutely right and they tend to be the vocal minority too the the uh, comic bros online crying and right, moaning about right. stuff yeah
1: yeah no um, <laughs> he they doesn't were, have they're...
2: a goatee it's so unrealistic that he would shave
1: right <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man
2: so did you keep reading from here have you stayed on with the Green Arrow book all this time or is this something you kind of come and go from
1: it's a good question Um. so I went ahead and I read what was volume 5 which was the outsiders war which you see hints of you can see that there are factions building right. towards the end of this you know the guy who was in charge of the axe clan or tribe I can't Speaking remember I think of there's which, clans within tribes make an awesome
2: yeah. video game with all like you, you pick your faction and then work your way up to the top <laughs> and you're like fighting for membership and all these hidden secrets and this and that the and searching for yeah. artifacts it'd be awesome DC get on it <laughs>
1: There's at least two people you know very well that you're actually related to. That's right.
2: Figure Um. it out. (laughs) Flirt accordingly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Be careful. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you have these factions building and that really comes to a head in the Outsiders War uh, which is really neat because it goes ahead and it ropes in a lot of characters that, um, that people already know. Like if you've ever heard of Katana who... Um, I think to some of our more um, less DC interested readers, uh, she was in the Suicide Squad movie. Or if you don't, or can't, or really don't want to see that movie, she's in the Suicide Squad poster for the Suicide Squad <laughs> That's movie. Where I've so seen go her. look yeah. that up.
2: <laughs> I saw her. She's on the, the book leader cover, of the Sword Clan. Yeah, there is a book of the Suicide movie that is based on the comic book. Which I'm like, why wouldn't you just go back and read the comic book? But no, there is a novel based on the movie that's based on the comics oh yes because these things exist
1: uh, there is a junior novelization of everything and sometimes oh, not even the junior the adult novelization. section whoa whoa yeah, whoa. yeah this is yeah. adult
2: section at the library yeah so anyway that's Thank where i goodness it
1: won't corrupt those kids yeah <laughs> 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 jesus the,
2: those glossy <laughs> insert pages
1: Oh, they're my they're my favorite. I mean that was that <laughs> no. sometimes that was my only glimpse into PG thirteen movies for a very long time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I too yeah. have parents like that. <laughs>
1: oh man. But uh so I read that and then I read volume six, which um, and again this is really cool, but it plays back into a little bit of what you see in volume four, where you can tell that there are problems brewing back in Seattle, and you see this in like the last Two issues or so of this trade is that, you know, all of these, this turf war into Seattle is getting way out of control. Um, And then they shoot to a reveal of Diggle, who I'm sure you're like, who the fuck is Diggle? (laughs) Um, And I don't think he was actually a character in the comic before now. It was just that he was created for the TV show um, and was massively popular. And so they roped him into this. Um, I'm going to speculate here, but I do believe he is actually named after. Uh, the comic book writer andy diggle um sort of as a homage to his book green arrow year one which for me is right up there with this volume four um and that's got jock on art so if you wanted more really solid a green jock arrow,
2: art book for green arrow and you had me read this one instead
1: yeah yeah Nick White. yeah i'm sorry yeah this is how i keep you coming back with more <laughs> stuff to read I so, so you know withholding I have done my, information. my own research
2: Look at me trusting you like a fool.
1: (laughs) But I'm glad you asked about continuing reading, because for those who do choose to keep reading, after Volume 6 comes Volume 7, which is where they let two of the producer, writers, whatever's showrunners of the TV show Arrow take over um, my book. Uh, They (laughs) took over my book. One wasn't enough for them, I know this is a very frequent soapbox uh, of mine, and uh, it was, ugh, oh man, I don't even want to talk about it, I think it's just volume 7, just skip volume 7, <sighs> just just skip it, it's it's, it's terrible, I, I, I only say that because I stuck around and read volume 7 in singles, uh, and it was a disaster. Um, I think there was one more volume that was eight before rebirth. And what's really interesting here is that the writer of Green Arrow pre-rebirth actually stayed on the book after rebirth started. And I think that's the only the only the instance where that happened. At that point? Uh, his name was Ben Percy, and they brought him on very very late. Um, he had had some experience doing some Detective Comics uh, issues, and then they threw him on Green Arrow right towards the end. Um, probably only probably only wrote about four issues five issues before the new 52 ended maybe they felt that that was not a fair shake so they left him on um but he he is doing a great job with that book right now and and and, you know if if you want another great arrow recommendation point that would be another fantastic one i won't lie there's a lot of green arrow out there that is very unappealing Um, in my mind because and and I get it like he wears green he has arrows they do funny things he hides around and shoots people um, with arrows Uh, how much appeal can that have but it's one of those things that when done right uh, can actually be a very interesting book in the same way that Batman um, lacking powers um, but having lots of money uh, somehow manages to work out okay in the end yeah
2: I feel like for any superhero archer They work well as a street-level hero. They don't work so well once you're fighting super villains and monsters and this and that. But as a street-level hero, it can be fun. As, like, a stealthy, I'm going to shoot you.
1: (laughs) Well, in in, in that vein, um, are are you thinking that you would go read uh, five... Or is this uh, is this the starting and stopping point for you? Um, I mean, uh, my feelings won't be hurt. I will silently judge you, and I'll hold a grudge. But I mean, in terms of just conventional feelings being hurt, um, you know, <laughs> pro- probably not.
2: He's like, By the way, our next hangout is canceled. Um, yeah. I if I didn't have an enormous backlog, would probably look up the next volume so as you know i got this from the library because that's what right. i do and they do not have volume five on hoopla to just what? keep going I, they have so, it's so weird that's they'll have weird. like we have no, volumes two and seven of this run have fun and you're like what the hell but anyway that is how it exists like they don't act they have they don't have one through three either they just have four so it would well. be an, an effort to look it up and right now i have a really disgustingly huge backlog of digital and trade uh paperback trades to read so that's where my actions lying right now but otherwise i don't know maybe we'll see keep hassling me about it
1: <laughs> along with the 50,000 other books that i've um you know queued up for you like, so
2: Kate, come on look at this bloodshot art no, yeah, come on, and then he's like, like, look at this No, look at, at this, this dog, look at this dog in Bloodshot Don't you want to read it now? Yeah. I'm like, ugh, no <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right, this has been another uh, Nick White attempts to uh, Force someone to read more books After forcing them to read one book And then having them come <laughs> on a podcast and talk about that one book At the end of which they say they're not interested In the other subsequent volumes that follow that book Or as I call it The IRCB minisode
2: Man, don't give yourself more credit you had me you strong-armed me into reading archer and armstrong and i read like five more volumes of that on my own and then the only one that like this was way better than the last one we did the Minnesota on that you had me read was the valiant and i was like no sorry yeah. nick that one was a total swing and miss for me where this one i actually enjoyed the first part not so much but it really once it hit its stride it was really good
1: that's fair that's fair let's let's just call it a bullseye
2: <laughs> sure sure
0: Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books Podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks to Kate Scotchless and Nick White. The music in this episode is brought to you by our favorite band in the universe, Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy the show, tell someone about it. Rate us online, write to us. You can email the show at ircb at destroythesive.org, and if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature here on the show, and we have regular threads about what comics we've been reading. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode at our subreddit, ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at ircbpodcast for updates and ridiculous retweets. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back issue bin of episodes and our weekly poll list posting, is to visit us at our website. It's brand spake and new, and it's at a new domain, ircbpodcast.com. Until next time, from all of us here at the show, thank you for listening.
2: Okay, Xander, before we turn off the recording, if you don't name this episode a romantic evening with Oliver Queen and or Green Arrow, pick the title of your choosing. Uh, it's over between us. I'm walking away, quitting the show. Not really, but still. That would be a delightful title.
1: He doesn't respond well to threats like that.
2: (laughs) Oh no, well in that case for over
1: ten years. What about bribes? Um,
2: How does he do with bribes? (laughs) Yeah, he's
1: he's good. you'll be fine.